Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Today on CityCast Salt Lake, legislators are at the Capitol debating a number of bills related to abortion and reproductive health. While they do that, I'm asking Utah's outgoing Planned Parenthood CEO, Carrie Galloway, about whether we should be expecting good, safe sex in the future. It's Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Carrie, you joined Planned Parenthood Association of Utah back in 1981. Correct. I was a star back then, a a dream. (laughs) Can you paint me a picture of young Carrie? Who was she? Allie, I was a gal of the 60s. It's the Mm -hmm. best way to describe it. I grew up wanting to be a hippie. And I truly believed that good sex was important, but it had to be responsible and it had to be safe. So when I went away to college, I became involved in anything that um, was good health sex related. And um, it brought me eventually to Planned Parenthood, which turns out to be the job of my dreams. Yeah. What were some of your driving values at the time besides good sex? Well, I'm the oldest of six kids in a very Catholic family, and I grew up knowing that my family felt you had to give back to your community. That was the important part of living a good life. So I was a Girl Scout and the leader and, to be honest, gravitated towards leadership. I guess I was just a bossy person, and I wanted things to go my way. So I had to make that happen. I went to college, unfortunately, during the Vietnam War at a time when the University of Wisconsin-Madison was very radical. So I went to war as a student and fought for the good fight. And so when my kids were picking colleges, there was no war. There was no cause. And I teased them what they'd get involved in and things like that. Because I just grew up as a very passionate person, fighting to make things right. And strong families are something that I believe in with my whole heart and soul. And strong families start with family planning. Mm -hmm. And so Planned Parenthood has been the dream job. Well, you've been in this job for, or with Planned Parenthood for 41 years, which like nowadays, I feel like people just don't do jobs for 41 years. Like my resume is like a year here, a year there, (laughs) right? What made you stay so long? I look back at it and think it's only been 41 years. Uh, I mean, you know, the nice thing about this job, and I tease a lot that it's never boring, 
But if I was trying to solve a problem and I didn't get it right the first time, I'd get a chance to do it again. Because so much of what Planned Parenthood is, is a social job, helping people understand the importance of family planning, the importance of public health. It wants to promote families. And to do that, they have to help them and enable them to make good, solid reproductive health decisions. It's interesting to talk to you as the head of an organization that's had such an influence on my life personally, because hearing you talk about the role of Planned Parenthood as sort of like this social, this organization that influences our perception of all these issues. For me, when I think of Planned Parenthood, I just think of it as like a healthcare facility. Like I'm like, it's basically a hospital, right? Like it's a healthcare provider. Well, we provide healthcare services at brick and mortar health centers throughout Utah. We also do telehealth and we do comprehensive reproductive health. Yes, it's a big part of the budget. We serve almost 40,000 people, men and women, every year with not just accessible but affordable public health in reproductive health. I mean, you mentioned that you were a child of the 60s, an aspiring maybe flower child. <laughs> I want to know how— I had the how... flannel. Okay, well then, that's—you're vetted. I want to know— how you think that conversations about sex in Utah have changed in the last 40 years? Like, what were some of the big pivots? Well, I think that the continually pushing, nudging the school system, the legislators, the policymakers, and making available to the families, to educators, to professionals, the information they need to have these discussions naturally allows people to be able to talk about this. We have these incredible programs that we provide for young people, the old puberty classes about hair growth, pubic hair and hair under your arms and deodorant, Kotex tampons. But it has evolved not just into public health and hygiene, but how to talk to trusted members of your family about questions and helping parents open the conversation with their young people about struggles they had and how young people can work through those questioning times. Yeah. Last legislative session when the period project was working to get the bill passed, which they did, that would yes. provide period products in all the public schools. And they were having these like big parties at the Capitol. And it was like, I don't know, just like period stuff, right? Everywhere. And I feel like that is... You know, in a time when we think about specifically when it comes to the fall of Roe and conversations about abortion, that it feels like we are moving away from progress. There are still these moments where you kind of shift in your seat and are like, oh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about periods at the Capitol. And I have a feeling that 40 years ago, we weren't. We weren't. You didn't even talk about it with the young fellows in the same age range. They didn't get to know about periods unless their mothers 
possibly let them know or older sisters let them know. But the fact that we were talking about it publicly, Allie, you talk about that talks about the change. We see more advertisements on the television that not just talk about public health and hygiene and bodily functions, but think of all the commercials we have about male sexual enhancement and um, the two bathtubs sitting on the uh, ridge looking out holding hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've changed the conversation. And um, it's good for people to be honest about how bodies Mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Though I do wish that period products were not taxed since Viagra (laughs) is not taxed. Hello, listeners. But okay. A good plug there, Allie. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's hot cross buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Well, I want to know how you think Planned Parenthood's brand is faring right now, because I think a lot of people would point to it as a bit of a lightning rod organization. You know, we're tough. We know how to handle it. And it says what we do, and we're honest about it. And we as a state have got to have these tough discussions. It's the reason we have filed the lawsuit to postpone the trigger bans enforcement and for the state to understand that if we're going to have equality between men and women, both sexes need to be able to have bodily autonomy. One can't make the rules for another. And the state has to understand that if they take away bodily autonomy from women and people who can get pregnant, they then have the obligation to support what those decisions bring. And when I look at 
the state's investment in public health and family planning. I would say it's about Zippo. I have to imagine that in more than 40 years at Planned Parenthood, you have sat in some real emergency legislative meetings. I want to know what one of your most impactful memories is from your time in this role. Oh, wow. So many big and little ones. Hmm. But, Ellie, I have to say most recently, we've been in a lot of court cases. In Hmm. fact, we were involved in one in 1981 when I joined Planned Parenthood. But this past summer, when... I was in the courtroom virtually when Judge Stone decided on the preliminary injunction for the trigger ban. It was the most incredible breath of fresh air for me as a leader of an organization who had been working since the legislature passed the trigger ban, knowing that we would have to be ready for if it ever had an opportunity to go into effect and to realize that our legal strategy was working. We had a judge who had never ruled on these cases before, but took it so seriously and listened to the implications of taking away half the population's bodily autonomy and what it meant and that it couldn't just be a capricious policy decision that a legislature did, that we really had to discuss the implications of it. And for me, it was just, wow, we did it. He put a temporary restraining order on the trigger ban. We can still provide comprehensive health care. It was just the most amazing feeling ever. Mm. And though it's not solid, the state has uh, appealed. We're now in two courts, the state Supreme Court as well as um, the district court. It's just, it's a lot of balls in the air alley. Mm -hmm. But him granting the preliminary injunction and saying this is a conversation the state needs to have was the most incredible, empowering feeling. How optimistic are you feeling about that conversation with the state? Because I know, I mean, recently the Utah State Supreme Court became majority women, which is kind of landmark. But that doesn't guarantee that they're going to have the kind of ruling on abortion that some people might be hoping for. No, no, we have we have certainly legislators who are women here who took it upon themselves this summer to write a bogus letter to us telling us that there wasn't an injunction. Unfortunately, you're right. I have to have hope that cooler heads will prevail, that at least a discussion will happen. I don't know. I've got to have hope, Allie, or I wouldn't get up every morning and do it for 40 years. Right. Well, I think the big question that I have for you, you know, as you leave this role is, how does abortion stay legal and accessible in Utah? Because you've pointed to some court successes or prevalences, but political work on this issue in the state, it feels like it's failing. So what do we do next? We don't give up. That's the 
the motto that everyone has to have. If it's worth fighting for, we continue the fight. And Utah is not alone. We just did a national election. And six times since the Dobbs decision, states have been asked what they want. They've had a clear decision on who gets to control women and pregnant people's bodies. And six times it was decided for democracy. It was decided for the people. It was decided that women and pregnant people should have that decision. Yeah. And I mean, Dan Jones and Associates, which is a you know, fairly esteemed polling institution in Utah, they found that 86% of Utahns think that decisions about pregnancy-related health care should be made by individuals in consultations with their doctors, not by lawmakers. That is a pretty astounding statistic, given how this issue is often reported in our state. But like, how do you marshal that public sentiment into political power? Is it a ballot initiative? It is so many possibilities, Allie, and that's why you can't give up. Everybody has a role in this. Talk to these lawmakers. Help them see that just because they were given the vote doesn't mean that their morals supersede everyone else's. They can live their own private moral decisions as everyone should, but theirs do not supersede mine. Carrie Galloway, CEO of Planned Parenthood of Utah, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your retirement. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I bet you are. <laughs> I want to give a little rundown on what your legislators are working on with regard to reproductive health. But first, I want to specify that at this moment, abortion is still legal in Utah up to 18 weeks of pregnancy. Now, Utah did pass an abortion ban, but it's currently dormant while being fought out in the courts. That said, legislators are anticipating a lot around the future of abortion in Utah. And so they're running bills that either try to advance or intercept its legality. For example, Republican Representative Ray Ward has a bill to give doctors more specific guidance for when they would be legally protected to perform an abortion because the mother's health is in danger. Right now, that language is vague, which endangers both doctors and patients. Democratic Senator Kathleen Reby is running a bill that would no longer require physicians to provide a police report proving rape or incest in order to perform an abortion. Often, rape and incest cases go unreported to the police for a variety of reasons. And Republican Representative Brady Brammer filed a proposal that would make it difficult for judges to issue injunctions. Now, injunctions prevent laws from going into effect while the law's merit is debated in court. Why would Representative Brammer propose this? Well, presumably because an injunction is the exact reason abortion is still legal in Utah right now. In fact, he was quoted by Fox 13 saying, quote, I think the trigger law was also a trigger to this. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye. Bye.